No, no, no. Hello, and welcome to the Eurowatch, episode number 173 for the week of November 28th, 2022. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. In this episode, we'll be talking about the United Kingdom's 21st century history at Eurovision. How's it going, Mike? Oh, Thanksgiving's exhausting. Yes. I don't think it's a tryptophan. I think it's, uh, yeah, just a lot of stuff going on. The array of foods are delicious, but it's a lot of early morning prep work. My brain is so fried. So this is going to be a real fun episode, folks. Yeah, let's, let's dive into the news. Uh, some big news coming out of Eurovision. They're overhauling the voting system? I feel like we had put a pin in that whole voting scandal that happened in May. I wonder what will happen with that. And like, stuff has happened. I think we were both expecting it to be like a stern warning and a wagging of the finger of, please don't do that again. But no, what they are doing is getting rid of the jury component of the semifinals. The semifinals will be 100% televote. I think that's an elegant solution to the problem that they were trying to solve. I kind of like how it fixes things. You can definitely see Martin Oosterdahl making direct eye contact with the Azerbaijani delegation <laughs> in announcing this. I think it makes sense in solving the jury shenanigans problem, because the last few times that there have been jury shenanigans, they've happened at the semifinal level. It hasn't really happened at the final level, or I don't know, there was a the whole Belarus incident in 2019, but that was because there were shenanigans in the semifinal, and then a sorting error in the grand final. So hopefully this will prevent that. But along with having the semifinals be 100% televote, they're also introducing a rest of the world online vote, which means anybody, well, it's not anybody in a non-participating country. They're putting out a list of countries that will be eligible to participate in this program. Yeah, if you're in one of those countries, you can log on to a secure website. You will be able to cast votes that will count towards a rest of the world televote score, both in the semifinals and in the grand final. So U.S. might have some stake in the game a little bit at Eurovision. I'm still thinking about how I feel about that particular quadrant of the vote. I have said for years that part of my enjoyment of Eurovision is that I don't have a say. Theoretically, I'm going to be at next year's contest, so I still won't have a say, so it's fine. I'm very interested to see the data of what does this do? They have an FAQ on the Eurovision website that kind of goes into a little bit more of the detail. So the rest of the world will have a public vote. They won't have a jury component. At the semifinal level, it doesn't matter because it's all televote. But in the grand final, they're only part of the televote portion of things. They're not part of the hopping around Europe uh Jury member, please give us your 12 points. Like, it almost feels like it's creating a tiebreaker system. Yeah, like they're just sort of creating another fictional nation of, of televoters. One of the things that I think is going to be really interesting about this is since the televote is presented in the aggregate, we're not actually going to know how the rest of the world voted until they do the data dump after the contest is over. Unless they do specifically call out how the rest of the world voted before giving out the aggregate points. Okay, that feels very interesting. And like, the fact that they're mentioning it now, like, it feels like they're going to want to do something public with that. They have a lot of kinks to work out. Yeah. Some, some of it is going to be security stuff. Not to be mean to the Azerbaijani delegation, but uh, how do you make sure that they're not diverting the money they were spending on allegedly bribing judges into purchasing SIM cards? 
it's based on credit cards and it just seems like it would be such a ridiculous amount of work and effort to swing things mm-hmm. i don't know like, yeah yeah i'm not a scammer i don't know the the math of it i definitely have friends who are real big into the whole airline miles thing with with various credit cards on like a level where i look at that i'm like that seems like a lot we had a Skillshare presentation at work a few years ago, and somebody was trying to explain the credit card reward hacking system. It was an interesting presentation. I think that was the first time that I really heard of somebody putting forth that much effort to get airline miles. But it's so much work and so much organization that it's just like, it's just not worth it. Like, <laughs> your time is worth something, too. Yes, I think this has the potential of solving a number of other issues, like countries that aren't able to participate this year. Like I think of like people in North Macedonia, Bulgaria, like people who are fans of the contest where, okay, their broadcaster decided not to participate this year. I'm sure there are fans that are just like, oh, I wanted to play at home. Mm-hmm. And now they can. San Marino, one of their issues is they can't have a televote because their system's integrated with Italy's system. So there's no way to tell what votes are San Marino votes and what votes are Italy votes. So this might be a way of creating something that they'll be able to use, which leads into another interesting item that came up in the FAQ where they talk about what happens if one side of the vote gets disqualified or doesn't reach the eligibility threshold, where if it's not a valid televote result in the grand final, then they're just going to double the jury score. If there's not a valid jury score, they'll double whatever the televote is. If both of them are invalid, that's where they will go to the system where they just take a average score of like where our friend the aggregate score comes in. There's a lot of nuance to this announcement. And I'm kind of excited about it. I mean, I, I share your reservation about the yeah, United States doesn't have to be involved in everything. Well, but... I'm, like, I'm, I'm glad that we're not part of the jury vote because we would, as, if the American Song Contest is any indication, we would send our blandest radio people. Exactly. Yes. It feels like it's another one of their kind of experiments where it's just like, okay, we're just going to try this out for a year, two years. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, we'll change it again. I mm-hmm. mean, change isn't always bad. Yeah, although it was fun on Tuesday to see the internet freaking out about it. Just like wake up to just like (laughs) the internet just like definitely just like going, oh, something happened. I think one of the funniest things about this is I had people personally reaching out to me to (laughs) get my take on it. Like, how are are you feeling about the news? Yes, yes. Like, do do we need to go call a hospital? Like that sort of thing. It's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's okay. That's what's happening in the contest As a whole, on the national final scale, Australia has decided to not do Australia Decides for 2023. But the interesting thing is, after the announcement was made, a number of Australia Decides alumni have stepped forward and said, "Uh, Hi, I would like to do this. Jaguar Jones, Shepard, Voyager, they've all expressed interest. And their 2016 representative, Dami Eam, who so far has their best performance at Eurovision, both in terms of score and quality i would argue she has also indicated interest it's kind of funny that like now that they've decided not to have a national final there's like a field that would have made an awesome national final yes (laughs) meanwhile malta has announced their contestants for their long form 
Malta Eurovision Song Contest. A lot of alumni from the last couple of MESCs and a couple of Eurovision alumni as well. That contest will be kicking off in mid-January, so uh, something to get excited about. Cannot wait to hear the new grocery store jingles. Uh-huh. Yep. I saw that list. I was like, this, there are 40 things on this list. That's too many Malta. Come back to me. Cut that down by half, and then we can chat. And in terms of songs approaching, Ukraine will be dropping their songs on Thursday. We're finally going to have our first Eurovision songs of the 2023 season. That is for their Vidbeer process, which will be happening on the 17th. Estonia will be dropping their songs on Friday, so we're going to have about 30 songs by the end of this week, which is pretty cool. Uh, and Albania announced that they're not going to be dropping their entries for Festival Congress ahead of time. We have to wait until the live shows to hear what the songs are going to be, assuming there's not a leak. Their plan is to not have the songs come out uh, ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, the Albanian plan is not to release the songs. Whether the that's the song's plan is anybody's guess. It's happening. We are in selection season. I, I'm excited. We are queuing up to ride the roller coaster. We can see the car. We can see the station. Soon we will be click, click, clicking up the ramp. And then the screaming. Yep, so- <laughs> and then so much screaming. What is Manskin doing? Manskin's had a pretty busy couple of weeks. The American Music Awards were held last week, I think it was, and they won Favorite Rock Song for their cover of Beggin. So this is kind of adding to their awards haul. The big award item on their list is they got nominated for Best New Artist at the Grammys. The thing about Best New Artist is that it's a category that's fudgeable. Yes, I can't remember what the current criteria is because it's one where the criteria kind of changes i think right now it's an artist whose impact has been particularly (laughs) felt in the last 12 months or whenever the grammy eligibility window is which is why you sometimes see an artist like oh i've been following this band for like 10 years and they're finally getting a best new artist nomination okay Uh (laughs) yeah abba also got a number of nominations for voyage voyage was nominated for album of the year and Best Pop Vocal Album, and Record of the Year and Best Pop Duo Group Performance went to Don't Shut Me Down. They were nominated last year for I Still Have Faith in You, and I was shocked to see that that was their first ever Grammy nomination. That is both surprising and not surprising to me. When ABBA was at their peak American exposure levels, it was also around the time that Stevie Wonder was just running the table and releasing a new masterpiece every year. On the other hand, like it fits very much in line with the Grammy voters being across all of the various genres of music. And if you have like a bunch of, of, of like studio session people, the ABBA album feels very much like a studio session work album. I remember the year where I was super, super excited that Daft Punk was doing what they were with Random Access Memories. But you look at the list of who worked on that album, it's everybody who was voting for it. They were working with studio session people. Yeah, and they also have like the legacy act mm-hmm. aspect of it. So it's going to be kind of a fun Grammys to watch. I'm actually kind of excited for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, like I, <laughs> I am very delighted by the, the the lineup for the big awards. 
Good luck to everybody. And before we dive into today's main topic, just wanted to mention our Patreon. We just dropped a bonus episode where Ben took us on a tour of the Liverpool music scene, its history, its acts. A lot of fun music clips in there. If you want to check that out and also help support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash eurowhat and you'll have access to that bonus episode, all of our previous bonus episodes. It's a good time. Now, I think, Ben, you're taking us on another tour of UK music? Thanksgiving just finished, and on our show, we have been stretching the limits on how far we can take Turkey as a as a theme. When I had this idea for this episode, it was going to be much more mean-spirited than I think that we get. The initial idea I had had that I think I put on our Trello board is, what is the worst UK entry? That's one way you can approach this, but also, it's interesting to kind of take a step back and go, okay, but... How did we get here? Just sort of the talking heads approach of this is not my beautiful house. Thinking about when we were talking about the UK's history at Eurovision, you left off at the end of the 90s. And I took a look and and crunched some numbers. The average position the UK placed in the Eurovision Song Contest up until 1999 was 4.54. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The average position of the UK from 2000 to the present is 18.5. Oof. Yeah. So so again, the question is, how did we get here? They have had five last place finishes since 2000. They have had 11 bottom five finishes since 2000. How did we get here? What other factors are coming into play? And the place that seemed most logical to do that was just take a look at how are they selecting their entries? So before I dive into the 2000s, let's do a quick drive-by of how they selected their songs from 1957 to the present. So in 1957, there was the Festival of British Popular Songs. That's the thing that emerged from when Eurovision was becoming a thing in the UK. I was like, sounds cool. We're going to do that too. In 1959 and 1960, they used the very straightforwardly named Eurovision Song Contest British Final. Right there on the tin. Yep. Uh, and then it finally becomes a song for Europe in 1961. That name seems to stick, and that remains the selection name until 1995. In 1995, they switched the format to something called the Great British Song Contest, you know, where performers give a signature performance, showcase their talents in a technical performance, and then bring their best to the showstopper. They get a pie plate at the end. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so the Great British Song Contest produces Gina G, Katrina and the Waves. Great results. Imani does well. Precious then gets the UK their worst performance to date in 1999, and that's where we left off. The televote in that period for the Great British Song Contest is consistently getting somewhere between 200,000 and 250,000 votes. Uh, pay attention to that number, although you don't get to pay attention for too long, and I will I will bring up when that shifts. Uh-oh. Yeah, because I, I was like, ooh, numbers! And then very quickly it went, where are my numbers? Oh. Because things are on a downtrend, the selection show gets shunted off to Sunday afternoon in 2000 and gets renamed back to a song for Europe. Okay, cool. I feel like there's going to be a recurring pattern of something does really badly and the UK is like, time to switch things up. So they rename it a song for Europe, but it has the same format at the Great British Song Contest. You know, so Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood are evaluating if any of the songs have a soggy bottom. (laughs) I don't want to know what that means. (laughs) I I did not think about that part of the joke on purpose. We're back to a song for Europe. And the way that that's generally working is that there are eight acts in a semifinal that's generally held on the radio. And that becomes four acts in the final. So I'm going to send you a clip of the 2000 winner, Nikki French's Don't Play That Song Again. Oh, Nikki French. Yes, she's a, yeah. she's a known quantity. Yeah, for the cover of Total Eclipse of the Heart. At least that's what I know. Yes, yes, uh, that, yep. yes, that is. 
We're going to get to Body Tyra later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so the stage has rotated into four, no, three panels uh, with a record and all these dancers. Oh, man, this is just very stereotypical Eurovision. Like, yes. Yeah. Like what, what we were seeing in Eurovision again from like early 90s. Just like I really want to dive into this 2000 contest because like this is the year that we also have ping pong happening. Yep. The vibe of this one just kind of feels like Kristen Wiig doing a character on Deep House Dish. And I think part of it is the MIDI instrumentation in 2000. We don't have the orchestra anymore, and oh boy, can you tell. MIDI instrumentation, until you said it, it was like, what, what is this sound? But that, that is it, exactly. No, it is, it is karaoke track. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. All right. <laughs> so in the selection, you're consistently seeing about 200,000, 250,000 votes in the final. I think it's mostly that Sunday afternoon death slot, but there are only 130,000 votes deciding the winner in 2000. I mean, it's only a 50% drop. Yeah, yeah, like not... I was about to say not terrible, but like I feel like a fifty percent drop is on some level something has like something's up. Oh yeah, it's catastrophic. Nikki French, as you mentioned, had previous chart success largely with that cover of Total Eclipse of the Heart. She places sixteenth, so that's worse. That's the lowest the UK has ever been to that point. But you know what? We're we're soldiering on. We're going to keep doing a song for Europe. Two thousand one, the final of the UK selection has only one hundred and two thousand votes, almost a third from the previous year, just dropping off. I will not send you a clip of the two thousand one entry, but oh boy, trance music was still a thing. I have temporarily ruined my YouTube recommendations right now. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's cleanable. That was very much on trend with what's happening at pop. Uh, unfortunately, it only places one position higher, fifteenth in Copenhagen. So, like, this is maybe not the way that we want to do this. Elsewhere in television in 2001, there's like the little thing called Pop Idol happening. This is the rise of, of Simon Fuller. And we'll put that in like the, the rearview mirror because like it will be quickly approaching. 2002, there are 107,000 votes in the final. Three of the four acts are either previously known. One of them is an actor. One of them is a TV presenter. And one of them comes out of the early rounds of Pop Idol. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ultimately, Jessica Garlic wins and she's the pop idol reject i think another thing that happens when the uk does particularly badly is they go to a safe place of just sort of sending a boring ballad but that gets the uk back up there because they're third they're third in the final okay then 2003 happens we're still doing a song for europe because hey it worked this time but they switch up the format where instead of having nice countable votes there is regional voting giving out like 12 10 8 and I'm wondering if that's just sort of hiding the fact that there's been a general decline in vote. Because, like, within the, in, like, the last five years, we have lost half of the number of votes that are coming into the UK's national selection process. Right. Do you have a sense of what the regional breakdown was? Was it just, like, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland? Was it by county? So we have Southern England, Wales, Northern Ireland, the Midlands, Northern England, and Scotland, each assigning out 8, 10, 12 points. 
Seems a little haphazard, but sure. Sure. (laughs) Especially because there are four songs in the final. So there's a song that's getting nothing. And there is one song that in the final gets zero points. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not great. um, Not great. Oh, man. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's like you could still give fourth place six points. And it's like, oh, they only got 24 points or whatever. Yeah. But no, they they finish with, they like, Simon Chapman's known forever finishes with no point. Oh, man. A Liverpool act by the name of Gemini wins the final by four points. Oh, good for them. Yeah, and I'm going to send you a link of that performance. No. No, 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 no. I know what you're thinking, because we have watched the Eurovision performance. The A Song for Europe performance is surprisingly solid. It's still the song Cry Baby, but that's a vocally competent performance. It is better than what was ultimately presented, but man, it still has this very dated quality. And I don't mean dated like, oh, this is obviously from 2003, but it's like, it seems dated, like even seeing it in 2003, it feels like. Yes. Yeah. Like it feels like a couple years behind the trend. Especially that choreography. It's just so stiff. 2003 is where all of the books on my little reference desk shelf end, (laughs) at least the UK ones. Okay. <laughs> are just like they're written they were all written in like 2003 2004. So things are fresh, which is great because you can kind of go into what is everybody blaming at the time. Terry Wogan seemed to be preemptively like essentially goes up to the band and is like we're not going to get any points because of the Iraq war. Oh, like jeez. At the final. I don't think that's the problem, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he is saying it like right before they're going on stage and that's like the last <laughs> thing that they hear before the sound check. Oh, geez. In the movie dramatization of this, I want that to be it. It's just like Terry Wogan bringing them in for what they think is going to be a pep talk and just be like, don't worry about it. Everyone hates us. <laughs> Bye. Have a great performance. Break a leg. That would explain a little bit. Like, <laughs> if they were visibly shook, I don't recall if that was the case. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're kind of shaky in the grand final performance. Like, they were good in the rehearsals, but there's a couple different things that happen. It sounds like Gemma is not super happy about how short her dress is, and they have to scramble to find some appropriately colored hot pants that she feels covered okay the other half of the duo i don't know if their luggage gets ransacked and he doesn't have a shirt but like right yeah because like i had joked when i first saw this performance that it looks like they forgot any wardrobe and had to go to like tk maxx Mm -hmm. i don't think it's that far off is is that it sounds like they did have to figure out the wardrobe at the last minute it sounds like there's a breakdown in communication between gemini and the uk delegation or eurovision as a whole because everybody seems to think that somebody else is going to provide in-ear monitors oh yeah you kind of need those and that's why the performance we get vocally it's kind of all over the place that that does explain a lot yeah if you don't have that in-ear monitor you can't hear that you've started completely flat right Again, they're trying to blame the mixing desk. They're trying to blame the inner monitors. They're trying to blame the Iraq war. But I think ultimately this comes down to the performance and the performance is really shaky and bad. The UK was kind of high on their own supply in terms of when they approached the contest. Like we're sending the best song ever. Mm-hmm. But I think even if you are sending the best song ever, if you're not setting that performance up for success in the myriad of ways that, that you need to do that, you're going to have trouble both the national final performance and the grand final performance have a real big American Idol season one group number energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. 
we know what happens with this one. It gets dead last. It gets no point. The UK is like, we have to make a change. We can't do that again. And they change up the format. A Song for Europe is over. Uh, new friendship created with Eurovision, making your mind up. As part of reworking that, they get rid of the radio semifinal and the song's debut on Top of the Pops two weeks before the final. They also shift the number of acts. Now there's only six artists. 2004 is also when the semifinals start, so the UK is automatically in the big four. Right. Uh, in 2004, uh, when the artists are announced, there's some public criticism that four out of six of the acts in the final are from reality TV shows. Spoiler alert, it does not get better from there in terms, yeah. of, in terms of like the number of reality TV stars in the lineup. They keep that regional televote, so like 70% is, is like these regional televotes. There's a 30% that is voting via SMS that is somehow separate from the televoting. All right. Yeah, I mean, I guess that maybe is just a cost consideration thing. That was back in the time where you did have to, at least in the States, you had to pay like a nickel for each text. And yeah. And if somebody is able to bankroll that, they, they will have a lot more sway if there's not uh, proper waiting going on. Also in the mix, although not really providing any sort of adjustment to the score, there was a panel of experts providing feedback. The panel of experts in the UK is always kind of weird. It just reminds me of the Irish selection this year. Like in this case, you have Cary Grant, who was a member of the 1983 UK Act. So someone who has not done Eurovision in the last decade. In 20 years. And then two TV people who are not singers. Like you have Lorraine Kelly and Harry Hill. Lorraine Kelly is a journalist. She's a television presenter. Harry Hill is like comedian, writer, television presenter. So you have two TV presenters and someone who has not done Eurovision in 20 years. I have notes. <laughs> this is a high point for the panel. You have a bunch of people who were previous reality show people. James Fox wins with Hold On To Our Love. And once again, the UK is like, we did terrible. Time to submit just sort of like a boring ballad as course correction. They finished 16th. We have seen that one from the Istanbul contest where that one was like the one where they were just like everybody sent their blandest man with a guitar. Right. They're on the pulse of what's going on, but also they're just kind of in the mix. Yeah. We are on the board. We have points. Let's keep doing this. 2005 uses the same format. It does drop from six songs to five. Amongst the participants, you have Katie Price, who is like a glamour model. Yeah, she, she's she's like someone who's like essentially like the UK level of C-list celebrity. Yeah, I was thinking I'm pretty sure I've heard of her in the context of Who Weekly, but I have. Yeah, like she's absolutely come up on <laughs> Who Weekly, but I feel like she lives in the part of my brain that actively mixes her up with Gemma Collins, even though they're very different people. Person who is famous in the UK for tabloid reasons. Famous for being famous, that sort of thing. Also in the mix that year, uh, Gina G. Oh, really? Yeah, Gina G came back and sang a song just to make the public vote split even more confusing as televote. Still there. SMS. Still there. There's now an internet vote. Oh, okay. I think the idea of the internet vote is this is going to let us see how the rest of Europe feels about these songs. Sort of like the new rest of the world vote where you're just like, what is this? Okay. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting because I would also assume that the rest of Europe is watching and... I mean, I guess streaming capabilities did exist, and if yeah, you had real yeah, player, but yeah, I'm not, like, I'm not sure, like to what extent other people could watch this. There's also a panel of experts providing feedback on the songs. Who's on the panel this year? Bruno Tonioli from Strictly slash uh, Dancing with the Stars fame. Jonathan Ross, okay, TV and radio presenter. Natalie Cassidy, an actress. Patty O'Connell, radio presenter. So we've at least got radio people. I, I think the song that won, Javine's Touch My Fire. That one's a reasonable song. It's an ethno banger at prime ethno banger time. 
This was the year after Wild Dances won. This was after Every Way That I Can won. It's very much the UK just sort of copying Turkey's whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> Which really, not a bad strategy. Not a, <laughs> not, like, not a terrible strategy if you're in 2005. Uh, but it places 22nd. Oof. Yeah. Okay, so 2006. Uh, again, we have some combo of televote, internet, and SMS determining the winner. The celebrity panel consists of Kelly Osborne, Jonathan Ross, Fern Cotton, and Bruno Tonioli. And, oh boy, I walked away from my initial idea of what is the worst UK entry, but I never need to hear Daz Sampson's entry again. So let's skip Daz. We've heard Daz. He is a then 32-year-old man talking about high school days like the head of the football team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't um, realize he was 32. Oh, oh I did that's... the math because I'm like, how old is this man? Oh, that is He is tragic. singing about how <laughs> teachers just don't understand the kids today while dressed in the most hello fellow kids way possible. <laughs> Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, he places higher than Javine did. He places 19th. Okay. Also worth noting, he tried to represent Belarus in 2019 and 2021. He was not successful either year. That's just a whole weird area I'm not going to touch. 2007 and 2008 are just sort of the I love mess years. In addition to Scooch, you have Justin Hawkins of The Darkness doing a duet. The panel of experts is now John Barrowman and Mel Gedroich. I love as like a potential hosting combo. I don't think that they should be offering expert advice on songs. I don't think Mel is capable of being, not that you need to be mean, but offering any sort of potentially negative feedback. Yeah. I, I think she would really struggle with. And John Barrowman can be a lot. Yes. So. There's a whole mess that year because it's Scooch and Cindy in the finals and Terry Wogan and the other hosts, when they're announcing the winner, each announce a different name. Yep. <laughs> Everybody thinks that the other act has won. And unfortunately, Scooch won. We've talked about Scooch. I don't need to go into the details there. <laughs> we have like four episodes where we, we talk like about four, Scooch. Yeah, like we, we keep talking about, <laughs> we've talked enough about Scooch. Who is any of that for? You can't just list a bunch of cities and expect the points from those cities to roll in. The UK has done terrible at Eurovision again. It's time for a format shift. Now it's called Eurovision, your decision. Or as I like to think of it, Eurovision, your fault. Yep. <laughs> uh, and like they arbitrarily place the six entrants in three different groups. Girl groups, soloists, and Joseph versus Maria. I'm guessing they pulled that from X Factor. In the soloist group, you have Andy Abraham, who's from X Factor. Oh, okay. So like you have that... The panel of John Barrowman, who's back, uh, Cary Grant, who's from 1983, and Terry Wogan, which, oof. In the initial round, each of those groups, they are doing, like, the Britain's Got Talent style. I choose you for one of those two, which, cool, we've narrowed it down by half. No, Terry Wogan also gets a wild card. Okay, so four out of the six people... Yes. Advanced. So like, okay, so just being extremely rude to, <laughs> to yes. two people. <laughs> yes, we, we've gotten rid of two groups. Terry Wogan's wildcard en ends up winning the whole deal. Both of the soloists are like what makes the gold final that everybody televotes on. Mm -hmm. I would argue that song is decent, is like a decent disco song from 1978. Okay, and this is for the 2008 contest. This is for 2008. <laughs> they place last again. We have started Eurovision, your decision. We have ended Eurovision, your decision. You decided wrong. <laughs> we, we are now putting out an all points bulletin. Eurovision, your country needs you. We used to have complaints about being reality showy. It's going to get even reality showier because, like I said, any dream will do is happening. So now we just have songs clearly written from no specific performer in a multi-week process just based on, like, I'd do anything and any dream will do. They are running the asylum. Uh, Graham Norton is the host now, and he is doing the Lord's work. 
<laughs> just like watching these videos just like oh boy he he's just like this is our next winner everybody and you can tell he does not believe that yeah the uk has done bad so we're doing some course correction we're sending a boring ballad and this time it's a boring ballad that has a couple names of dubious provenance attached because it's andrew lloyd weber with a co-write from diane warren oh no <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, I, I, I can just feel the schmaltz, and I'm not even hearing the song. It's, okay, so uh, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna send you both of the alternate history versions, I'm only gonna send you one, because <laughs> this is the beauty of this format, and YouTube being a thing, is that you can see, oh, who else was in the running? Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, we know that Jade Ewan wins, and looking back at history, this is correct. It comes down to Jade, Mark, and the twins. Ugh. Yeah, uh, Mark. Mark honestly dodges a bullet because he goes on to do like a bunch of Broadway. And watching his performance, it's a very Broadway performance. Of that song, which given that's Andrew Lloyd Webber, not a bad strategy. Exactly. But like Jade really made it feel like a proper Eurovision ballad. You might be asking yourself, does "It's My Time" work as a duet? And I'm here to tell you, no. Yeah, it's very Jenna Maroney. No, don't make me sing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I had not thought of that, but no, it's just two Jenna Maroney's, and both of them are doing a breathy voice for reasons I don't understand. No one finds this a novelty. No one enjoys this. So 2009, we get results. Cool. We're going to do that again. Mm -hmm. Who can we get now? We can't just send Andrew Lloyd Webber again. Who else has a legacy of of dubious provenance in the UK music scene? Why, yes, Pete Waterman of Stockake and Waterman fame. Oh, all right. Yeah, and like 2010, <laughs> this is like the selection is is still airing on BBC One. Unfortunately, this this entire Your Country Needs You 2010 just has big American Idol group number energy increasing. There's a opening group number set to a couple ABBA songs that does not work because it's trying to highlight each soloist, and there's not really any ABBA solo parts for dudes. So like the guys are also there. They do Dancing Queen and they do. Uh, Take a chance on me. Solid choices. Solid yeah, choices. Yeah. Because Pete Waterman is in charge of this, each contestant has to perform a Stock Aitken Waterman song. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to... Yeah, which I know that at this oh. point, just like the way that the format has changed and just like the general ri- like tidal wave of singing competitions that have come in is that Eurovision is now another part of the prize package rather than the main event. So the way the final works is Pete Waterman of the six picks three to advance. Each of those people then has to sing That Sounds Good to Me, just the most generically written pop song ever. Right. And th- this is the one where you can really see Graham straining to just be like, this could take us to Eurovision victory. Although everybody is doing the much better techno version of the song. I would argue that Josh Dubervy makes it because the person who sings the song best completely forgets the first part of the second verse. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. The hell of it is, if that happened on the Eurovision stage, probably would have scored better. The other thing from just watching all the 2009-2010 stuff did just, like, immense psychic damage to me. Yeah. Just watching styling choices from, like, a decade ago. That song does terribly. Mm -hmm. But the first sign was that song failed to chart in the UK. Danger Will Robinson. 
I mean, this is at the same time as Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift. And this just like does not hold a candle to anything. To any of those. To 2010 uh, pop. But like Jeez. Gemini charted. Gemini went, went to number 15. Okay. Daz Sampson went to number nine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We talked about uh, on Patreon, like how it the, the, the British charts can be kind of goofy. Yes. But yeah. Ugh. I think they did something to all performances from the grand final of Josh Drew V because I can no longer find the one where the backing vocals are awful. Some sweetening is happening behind the scenes. I do not like it. Let me yeah. sh- show me the actual performance. The one thing that stuck with me about this one, and then we're going to speed up from here because it suddenly stops being your decision. It's our decision. We are taking things internal. We are we are turning this car around. Blue gets announced as the act in January 2011, and that's when everybody is suddenly where, oh, we're not doing a selection this year. Uh, it is the first time a group representing the UK had a chart topper before Eurovision since Sonia in 1993. Oh, wow. That, that's a long time. It's a long time, but like it gets, it gets the UK back to 11th place, so like they might be on the right track. Then they immediately get weirdly focused on songwriters and are like, we're going to get the team that wrote You're Beautiful for James Blunt, despite the fact that it's no longer 2007. And that's how we get Engelbert Humperdinck, the most delightful name to say. Yes. <laughs> but also, let Engelbert Humperdinck go to bed. It is midnight in Azerbaijan when that show kicks off. <laughs> Although I do find it funny that like they were just like, oh, he's one of the oldest participants ever at Eurovision. And then the Russian grannies are just like, aha, <laughs> I see you and I raise you. <laughs> yes. Hold my vodka. I would argue that if Engelbert Humperdinck had represented the UK in like 1973 with this, great. I actually do kind of like that song. I mean, I, it's not a 2012, like it, it did not stand a chance, but no, it's, uh, yeah, it's not I think a... it, yeah, like right song, wrong year. I think Yeah, right song, right yeah. singer, wrong year. 2013 they sent bonnie tyler uh bonnie tyler by the way was asked to represent the uk in 1983 and is like i'm too famous for this uh, i'm t- i'm too busy yeah uh 2013 less busy she has an album coming out so the bbc the bbc's like hello we are interested Rewatching that performance like there's no real staging happening 2013 was just kind of a this year uh they placed 19th so we're back on the downside again mm-hmm. uh the uk is like okay it's time to stop career revivaling people it's time to start introducing new people so they go to bbc introducing we have molly we have the whole curly whirly cake thing in, De- in denmark uh on the plus side it's an artist writing a song for themselves wait wait wait, wait. curly whirly cake thing yeah oh yeah amongst the audience bits in denmark they're just like we heard you really like this cake so we got the cake from the bakery okay to the uk's entry <laughs> the, 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 that's just like one of the things i remember from that year i remember hyping this song up at the time and like it is, it is just sort of the song that gets placed in a Doctor Who Christmas special. I remember everybody was hyping this song, and like every time you listen to it, it's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's like I, I've never liked this song. And just like, like every every couple of years, the UK just like really gets into the PR portion of things. It's like they're doing it. It's time. It's happening. It plays the seventeenth. And it's a shame too, because I think the process that they used for this, like that, did sound like a promising process like it felt very npr tiny desk concert uh in its i don't know personality that ties in nicely with what i have in my notes because i'm like is, is, is this a decent strategy that got discarded too quickly i mean the next year though is electro velvet so <laughs> which i want to know everything about how this dance remix of the masterpiece mystery theme song <laughs> got got greenlit because compared to molly there's extensive notes we approached molly she wasn't sure that eurovision was right but wanted to make sure she could write the song there's just nothing about electro velvet one of the co-writers on the song david mindel he wrote a song for the 1974 selection with olivia newton john he had another entry in 1975 he's primarily a jingle waffle a, a jingle writer okay <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, we're keeping that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, because like this gets compared to the Burnside potato waffles jingle. Okay. And like he didn't write that one. I did. I did the work to figure out if he wrote that one. He did not write it. I distinctly remember my Eurovision party that year loving the performance really and me just going what watching the official music video for this one and just kind of the dead look in the eyes as somebody goes sounding good sugar (laughs) just (laughs) sent me on the plus side alex lark who is the the male half of electro velvet seems to have a really good sense of humor about the whole process because like he was doing a bunch of music stuff during lockdown and was jokingly introducing himself as a nine-time bbc eurovision participant or alex lark from the telly Nice. <laughs> so, so just like, I'm glad that they had a good time and they have a sense of humor about that, but also they hit the bottom five again. So yeah. we're changing the format. Eurovision, it's your problem again. Eurovision, you decide. You do it. We're done. We're tired. Uh, on the plus side, uh, starting in 2016, the shortlist is being picked by professionals and like the British Association of Songwriters, Composers and Authors are getting asked to contribute songs. Unfortunately, we're getting broadcast on BBC4, which I don't even think Oof. exists again at this point. Yeah. Oh, okay. Also, we're just like never getting vote counts again, are we? Because like at this point, it's just like, here are the six artists and this one was picked. Yeah. In terms of like historical data on how they won. Like uh, 2016 is kind of Coldplay light. It's, mm-hmm. it's Joe and Jake. That was fine. It was a tough year. Yeah. Why am I making excuses for the UK? I'm sounding yeah, we, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a whole Stockholm Syndrome thing. I'm doing the same thing. Uh, 2017, there's now an eight-member jury in the televote. They have an Emily DeForest co-write. Of course that one wins. Right. This isn't. This one's another one that like lumps into the Doctor Who Christmas special area for me. Yeah, although like I think Lucy Jones really sold it at Eurovision. I would agree. Like It's very solid, and like it gets them into 15th. A couple of friends of mine were in the UK in the last year, and they went to see Wicked, and she was in that. And they said she was the best part of the show. So. Good for her. Yeah, yeah. 2018 is Suri, who uh, is another one where, like, I would love to see her back in the mix. Because, mm-hmm. like, just a real good egg. She she is so delightful on Twitter. And even though the stage invasion thing was really I unfortunate. They, I think yeah. they should have taken the opportunity to perform again. Would it have done better than 24th? Debatable. I don't think it would have done better than 24th. But, yeah. I, I haven't actually revisited that idea. I, I think it kind of worked for the story of that song but come back Surrey. we like yeah come back come back Surrey. that is the moral here i guess uh 2018 is also just like a weird nadir in music competition programs we're trying to find new things to do with singers to oversing at so we have things like all together now which only lasts a couple seasons but that's where we get michael rice who represents the uk next year Mm -hmm. with with a song that john lundvik wrote I distinctly remember there being a Twitter supercut of every time he sings bigger in that song, and I could not find it. But just just think about it fondly, because I did. But this is another one where like that song failed to chart in the UK, which is just an omen. Yeah. Anyways, they, they come in last place again. It's time to change the format again. I think this is around the time that we as a podcast were yelling at the UK to change things up. One of our very first episodes was talking about the 2018 Eurovision selection. And then, yeah, 2019, we had opinions. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was that summer where we did like our gut We're like, we're going to renovate project. this house. <laughs> and I think we just had an entire episode devoted to the UK. I have to look that up. But <laughs> oh, yeah, and like now we're just nearing like very recent history. So I don't have a ton to say because we're back into an internal selection. Mm-hmm. It's worth noting James Newman's My Last Breath also fails to chart, but I think that's more of just a March 2020 happening thing. So just like any promotional campaign, just the cord got yanked. Yeah. I still like the idea behind Embers. It feels very UK. It feels very... And this is probably not a thing in his favor. It feels like something you'd hear in the background on a Love Island. I think that was one where... 
it was a serviceable song. I don't think James Newman was the right performer for it. I think if it were paired with the right performer, it could have maybe not worked, but have worked better. They were going to perform a song called Embers without any pyro on that stage. Yeah, yeah, there were some creative decisions that were questionable. I feel like the UK coming in last again and last on that level in a way that we did not think the scoring system would allow, allowed for some soul searching. There's a story about the UK delegation and the Spanish delegation just like chatting over a bar, just like, we gotta gotta improve. And I think that makes for a good story. I don't know if it actually happened, but like, they're back to realizing that Eurovision should not be part of the prize package. We now have Sam. And we have, like, a performer who can actually sing the song that they wrote. And we have TAP Music going, do we have a good song? And going, how can we make this work for Eurovision? Rather than which pop stars the rivals also ran can we put in against four other people? Yes. (laughs) That is what's happened in the UK in the last two decades. I think that the issue is not the Iraq war. I think the issue is generally Simon Fuller and his acolytes in terms of reality TV show culture. Like the uk system in particular because it seems like other countries like they draw from the voice of their country and seem to do fine i'm wondering if because again like we lose track of the data of how many people are watching the final and voting in the final very early on where that early bubble of a lack of success just really turned people off and like really pivot things into we could send a dell and we wouldn't win that makes sense like it's just like the aftermarket is just not the right economy yeah. for this product oh my god I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry i said that sentence <laughs> it was a very fun journey and again i had to confront some very uncomfortable styling choices from the very recent past but i feel stronger as a person coming out of it well that's good thank you for your service <laughs> yes <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode of the euro what thanks for listening the euro what podcast is hosted by ben smith that's me and mike mccomb that's me You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at EuroWhat. If you'd like to support the show, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash EuroWhat. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at EuroWhat.com. If you have any questions or corrections, drop us a line at EuroWhatPodcast at gmail.com. Next time on the EuroWhat, we're going to continue the aftermarket discussion with our special guest, Susie Seeger from the EuroRiffs Podcast.